Chapter To the Death Fedyanka rubbed his forehead as he reviewed the latest report on the delivery system. Bio-warfare delivery systems weren't his strong suit, so he found himself going over the same sentences several times to grasp what the researchers were describing. Of course, he revealed to no one his shortcoming. It was his and his alone to muddle through. After several minutes of flipping between the report and the schematic, Fedyanka put the papers down and massaged his temples. He was amazed at the amount of talent at Sheol's disposal. So the greatest minds on the planet can be bought for about any price. A powerful motivator forging the dedication to succeed. Not unexpectedly, all predictions of promised dates of completion were shattered. The delivery system had only a few tweaks to resolve, while the encapsulation process could even be perfected within the week. Standing up and stretching, he reveled at the thought of being promoted to such a high level on this project. He was born to lead, or so he thought. Deciding to take a break from his paperwork, he walked over to the encapsulation group's lab to make a surprise visit. When he reached the lab, a small meeting was being held with at least 10 of the scientists. Fedyanka desperately tried to suppress his displeasure at not being informed of such a meeting. Immediately after his presence was noticed, everyone became quiet. What's going on here? He demanded. Is there a problem I'm not aware of? One of the scientists, still distraught over Fedyanka's sudden ascent to power, had no problem showing his anger. So we can't even informally talk among each other without first checking with you now? If so, then there will be many more meetings you're not aware of. A different scientist quickly intervened before things got out of hand. We're just going over the results of the latest encapsulation method, and everything is proceeding as expected. Still red in the face, Fedyanka ignored the first arrogant scientist and addressed the second. Go over results again. I want to know what's going on. Sure. The scientist responded slowly. He and several of the other scientists then reviewed the new method of enhancing the encapsulation of the Genovirian. The process of enveloping the Genovirian was nearly 90% encapsulated. The remaining uncovered sites were posing a difficult task. Those regions of the Genovirian seemed unreactive to the process and consistently resisted binding. When the review was over, Fedyanko looked at each scientist confused. So, what's the problem? Have you been listening? asked the first scientist who had challenged him before. There are gaps in the encapsulating processing. We need to find ways to achieve binding in non-reactive areas. Yes, I know, Fedyanka said calmly. He wasn't going to let the man get the better of him again. If it's non-reactive, then you'll get no binding. Bind them to areas that's already bound. What? Extend binding of bound area around non-reactive areas and then check to see how stable entire encapsulation is. Is extended binding over non-reactive areas stable? How long are they stable? Will this affect mimicry of T-cell? The first scientist looked blankly at Fedyanka and then at his associates. Fedyanka was right and he knew it. Forced binding to a non-reactive area might create some sort of a steric hindrance or unraveling, while extending it might stabilize the entire process. Once Fedyanka realized they were all in agreement, his face immediately became red with anger. First of all, I want all results from every experiment in my hands for review from now on. Second, come up with a protocol for binding extension and show it to me immediately before you proceed. If protocol is sufficient, I expect all results today. I want stability number, T-cell mimicry efficiency, and projections for initial trials. I want it today, no matter how long it takes. 
Do I make myself clear? Every scientist nodded and hurried off to work, as Fedienka heard his cell phone receive a text message. The message said for him to go to the dark, she all official's office immediately. Sit down, said the dark, she all official as Fedienko walked into his office. Now, Fedienka, explain yourself. About what, sir? Your solution to the 10% encapsulation deficiency by extending the binding over the non-reactive areas. Fedienka stared at his supervisor in disbelief as it became clear his every action was being watched. He in the dark, she all official was too smart to let this fact slip inadvertently. He wanted Fedienka to know he was being watched. Every action, word, and interaction with his team was being recorded and reviewed. Um, well, it makes perfect sense to just cover any non-reactive sites, since it's already a low percentage covering the Genovirian. He said, unable to cover his nervousness. Yes, I already know that. I want you to tell me why you, of all people, seem to have the answers for every little problem we have in this project. Sir, Fedienka didn't know what the man was talking about. He devoted his very soul to the success of this project and would never sabotage it. The question made no sense, so for several seconds he sat there, staring blankly at the dark, she-all official. He felt the sweat starting to be up on his forehead as he tried desperately to come up with some kind of response but nothing formed in his mind. I, I don't know what to say. I really don't understand question. My goal is success of. The dark, she all official held up his hand. Do you think I'm a fool, Fedienka? No one comes up with solutions so quickly unless they've foreseen these problems, figured out the solutions, and only revealed the answers at the right opportune time. You seem to have figured out the solution to the project steps before the others did and used it to your advantage. You gained status and a position of power with this deception, and probably even figured on trying to usurp my position over time. Standing up from his chair, the dark, she all official looked down at Fedienka with a menacing scowl. That will never happen. Fedienka's eyes widened as he realized his game was over. He had been so careful how he approached the answer to each problem he foresaw would arise with the Genovarian. Now he sat dejected in front of an angry Middle Eastern supervisor, his once bright future now uncertain. Folding his arms across his chest and breathing deeply, the dark, she-all official clenched his fists several times before continuing. Now, you will tell me everything you've discovered about the Genovarian and delivery system you so kindly presented to us before. Everything, Fedienka? Leave anything out and you'll not find my response so pleasant. Fedienka could have denied everything and sworn on his grandmother's grave that he was innocent, but he felt transparent looking at the man standing before him. It was as if the man was able to see every plan, every thought, and every deception forming in his mind before it could be formed on his lips. Lowering his head, he said, I discovered a solution to Genovirian project several weeks ago and kept it to myself. I then planned on using this information to advance myself, but I never thought about taking your place. I. I just wanted recognition I deserved. Fedienka jumped in the chair as two massive fists slammed onto the desk. You think I care about your petty ambitions? My main concern is the success of this project. And now you're telling me it could have been weeks ahead of schedule if you had only come forward with your insights weeks ago. The dark, she all official cursed in Arabic before pointing a finger at the dejected scientist. You will tell me everything or so help me Fedienka. You will pay for this. Fidienka spent the next several minutes 
trying to convince his supervisor that his expertise didn't include engineering, so he couldn't comment on the delivery system's progress. His field of expertise was a deep understanding of biology. He desperately explained that the last step of extending the binding over the non-reactive Genovirian sites was the last step in encapsulating it, and that the first trials would show the newly encapsulated Genovirian to be indistinguishable from human T-cells, and the infectivity to be no less than 96% when considering the encapsulation's hydrophilic nature, making it easily dispersed as an aerosol. He also added that the on-site 100-liter fermentation units were more than capable of mass-producing the encapsulated Genovirian within a week. The dark, she-all official restrained himself from striking the Russian repeatedly. The project had been severely compromised and was behind in its true schedule of implementation due to this one man's ambitious goals for power. Is that it? He asked through clenched teeth, daring the man to lie. Fidianka nodded. That is all. I swear. Sitting back down and loosening his collar, the dark, she-all official glanced at his watch. I want you to work closely with your team to oversee the extended binding encapsulation verified by the end of the day. Early, preferably. Also, I want a complete report to present to my supervisors on how the project is now ahead of schedule, with an over 96% infectivity rate. And you're to continue your role as project leader. He leaned closer to Fedienka. Make no mistakes, Fedienka. Any more slip-ups like this, and you're done. Fedienka nodded. Get out. Fedienka quickly lifted himself out of the chair and left the room. Alone in his office again, and with the door closed, the dark, she-all official waited patiently for several seconds for a response. One internal office speaker, voice one cleared his throat before talking. The man is truly ambitious to get this far, without us being initially aware of his plans. He can't be trusted. The dark, she-all official responded. True, but he is a talented scientist. We'll use his abilities up to the very end and then terminate him. At that time, he'll no longer be any use to us said voice one. I agree. Despite his deceit, we're still way ahead of schedule. Look into the delivery system. This seems to be the only thing slowing us down for a quick launch. And also prepare a pre-test of the Genovarian, somewhere remote and out of the way. Maybe some indigenous tribe somewhere far from civilization. I'll send you some favorable test areas. Consider it done. The dark, she all official responded. Oh, and one more thing. Make sure Fedienka heads this pretest. I want to make sure he gets a first-hand experience of how well the Genovarian works. Understood? Perfectly. The dark, she-all official waited to see whether there was more to be said. After a few seconds of silence, he stood up and stretched, realizing the call was terminated. He smiled as he played back the conversation with Fedienka in his mind. The man had almost succeeded in his ambitious plans to acquire power and importance in the project. If he had just been honest, he could have still been elevated in stature, but it was too late for that now. The dark, she-all official decided to take a walk over to the team working on the delivery system. It seemed as though this was the only thing holding back the project, and he figured a surprise visit might help them double their efforts. When the dark, she-all official entered the engineering lab section of the complex, he saw pieces of metal shavings, parts, and odd components littering the floor. There were two main computers in the lab area, each manned by an engineer working on some computer code. There were two other scientists on the far end of the room, arguing over differing points of view on some procedure, 
and one lone engineer looking over what seemed to be a prototype of the device. Everyone was so preoccupied they didn't see the dark, she all official entered the room. He slowly walked over to the engineer laboring over the prototype. What's the problem? He asked softly, so as not to scare the man. Without turning, the engineer responded, it's the same as last time. I don't understand. The engineer, wondering who was disturbing him, turned around to see his supervisor hovering over him. Oh, sir, I didn't know it was you. Um, what can I do for you? At this time, every other person in the room turned to see the interaction between the dark she-all official and their colleague. Most were shocked by the visit, while others were perturbed by the intrusion. They were already under enough pressure to keep the project on schedule. And now, since they heard the encapsulation team had nearly perfected the process, the focus would be on them. The dark she-all official looked at the device. It was nearly the size of a small egg. Small enough to remain concealed, while packing in a punch, supposedly, to disperse the Genovirian over a significant radius. Since the object's role was to create public panic over a pandemic, through the infection of just a few thousand in various areas, the device didn't have to be large in size. What's wrong with the device? Well, it was all clearly stated in the report we sent to Fedienka. A device this small will not have a wide initial radius, even with the event of aerosol-like transport. We're looking at an initial radius of 6 meters and an aerosol dispersion of 3 meters after that. To achieve the projected desired effect of infectivity, with an aerosol of only 10 meters, the initial dispersal needs to be at least 30 meters, which will greatly reduce the stealth option of this system. To disperse that widely will require a more powerful device a device that might get attention of any undesirables close by. Smiling the dark, she all official said, Fidienka didn't report to me regarding your update yet. He's very consumed with the biological aspects of the project, so that's why I'm here. What are your solutions to maintain the level of stealth we require? One of the engineers working on the computer jumped to answer the question. We have two possible options while keeping the current device schematics. With programming, we can have a slow release of the Genovirian, increasing the aerosol infectivity to around 15 meters. But of course, the density of the Genovirian will continue to decline the further it gets from ground zero. In this case, stealth will not be compromised. The other option is to increase the initial burst of the device. However, this increase will most likely bring physical harm to the person activating the device. So in this case, we can have the agent place the device in a secure area and remotely detonate it. We can easily add an end function mode that'll turn the device to slide after it finishes releasing the Genovirian. But if it's put in a secure place, the area dispersal may be compromised. So it would have to be placed in a populated, secure area to get the maximum effect. The other, the dark, she all official held up his hand. The man was talking a mile a minute and needed to stop drinking numerous cups of coffee, made obvious by the smell of his breath. So the question is not technical. It's more application, right? He asked. Yes, the caffeinated engineer responded. We need to know what's more important. Because as I said before, the widest dispersal and aerosol effect will compromise the stealth needed for the project. If we could make a bigger delivery system, then this covers the problem of dispersal. But how can you hide something nearly 60 centimeters in length? Well, there may be ingenious ways to hide such a thing. We'll stick with the original schematic. Don't deviate from that. The dark, she all official interrupted. He looked at each engineer. 
Satisfied that he had their full attention, he continued. Increase the dispersal rate for the device, and don't worry about the stealth. Our agents will take care of that little problem. The end function mode mentioned is a good feature to have. Add that to the device also. Relief and clarity seemed to envelop the group now that their course of action was made clear. Now, how soon can we have a working prototype for a field test? Nobody answered, since no one wanted to commit to a deadline at this point and be wrong. Well, the caffeinated engineer couldn't keep his mouth shut. There are a series of tests that must be performed first before we can confidently release a working prototype. And this will obviously take place after the incorporation of all you asked for. The engineer turned to the other engineers. One week? Does that sound reasonable? The others nodded weakly. One week was more than enough time to have the working prototype, even with some unforeseeable setbacks. No. The dark, she all officials said before anyone could verbally agree with the caffeinated engineer. The Genovarian project will be finished by late today, and production begins a day or two after that of both the encapsulated and non-encapsulated Genovarians. We should reach first batch production within two weeks after that. Well before that, a field test should be finished, and production of the device initiated. So, I want both Genovarian device productions to coincide. You have two days. The dark, she all official continued, ignoring the caffeinated engineer raising his hand. But sir, the caffeinated engineer said regardless, if you want 100% confidence of the delivery unit, it'll take more time than that. The dark, she all official said his next words slowly and with much repressed anger. You will succeed in two days. I don't care if you sacrifice sleep. If this project is delayed due to be your inability to meet this deadline, It'll be the last project you ever put your hands on. Do I make myself clear? After receiving nods from each engineer, the dark, she all official stated he was taking a personal interest in the team's progress and wanted updates every six hours sent to him and not Fedienka. Once back in his office, he activated the micro cameras throughout the complex and scrolled through each one until he found Fedienka. On his monitor, he viewed Fidienka working feverishly with the other scientists as they labored to finish, setting up the last test needed to confirm the complete encapsulation and viability of the Genovarian. Smiling, he mumbled. They worked so hard building their own coffins. Keiko Carter sat at the desk in her hotel room and glanced out the window again. She couldn't begin to count how many times she looked outside and didn't really know why she was still obsessing over the dream of a day or so ago. It was almost like she feared that if she looked away for too long, the world would change to that vivid nightmare. She shook her head. She had to get control of herself. It wasn't like her to lose mental control over anything, but it was as though the dream shook the core of her being in a way nothing else ever had. For the first time in her life, she was unsure of so many things, starting with her understanding of Pastor James' explanation of Bart's symbiotic relationships, up to hearing about Brooke's accident. Brooke was in an induced coma at the Buford County General Hospital. When Keiko told Martin she was heading there to check on her, he ordered her to stay put and continue to assist until her current case was closed. He stated he didn't have the manpower to find a substitute for her, due to some calamity at sea with a cruise ship off the North Carolina shore. Keiko looked outside the window again and jumped when the room's phone rang. When she picked it up, it was the front desk indicating that several packages have arrived. After telling the person to deliver them to her room, Keiko ran her fingers 
Through her black hair, I tried to look halfway presentable before she had to open the door. After the packages were dropped off on Keiko's desk, she quickly glanced at the window and took a deep breath. As she started opening the smaller of several packages, her cell phone rang. Keiko? Where are you? Can you talk? It was Keiko's mother, Hiroko. Keiko's breath left her, and for a split second she wondered whether she was dreaming again. Her hand, holding the phone, began to shake. Keiko, are you there? Yes, she said, fearful of what her mother was going to say next. Was her dream coming true? Am I calling at a bad time? Should I call back? You don't sound good. Is everything alright? Keiko quickly gathered herself. Her mother was her typical, mile-a-minute multitude of questions self. If there were a real problem, she would be the complete opposite, evasive and enunciative. Yes, I'm fine. What's going on? What's going on? I should be asking you that question. What's going on with you? I know you can't talk about your cases, but are you going where I hope you shouldn't? And where am I not supposed to go? Keiko asked slowly. Fine, said Hiroko, perturbed her daughter hadn't followed her clearly. In North Carolina? Are you going to North Carolina? It's terrible what's happened there. And just to think, me and your father were thinking about taking a cruise soon. Well, let me tell you, there's no way I'm stepping on a boat again, unless they make sure all their ships are running just fine. Keiko smiled as her mother continued after taking a deep breath. How in the world can an entire boat, the size of a small city you know, sink like that? Those things are supposed to be the safest things out there. Did you hear anything about what caused it to sink? Because the news isn't telling much and before I book any trip, I need to know. And since you're with the FBI, I was wondering if you can tell me anything at all. After waiting to see whether her mother was finished, Keiko shook her head. No, mom. I don't know a thing about this. I'm not in North Carolina. Then who is? Surely you could find something out. All I can tell you is that we have a lot of people looking into it. Keiko answered. All you can tell me? In other words, there's more to it and you can't tell me. I didn't say that, mom. I just said, I know what you said. You made yourself perfectly clear, but just keep this in mind. If there's anything you can tell me within the next two weeks about it, please let me know. Adam is insisting I'm obsessing over nothing and wants to go ahead of the cruise. You wouldn't want anything to happen to your poor mom and dad, would you? In two days, we'll be making reservations. And I just want to be sure. Can you do that for me? Yes, I can do that. Thank you. See, that wasn't so hard, was it? A long pause. So how are you? Asked Hiroko. Keiko burst out laughing uncontrollably. After all that had taken place over the last few days and the gripping uncertainty her nightmare had left her with, all was still the same with the world. Nothing had changed outside her window. Everyone and everything still moved with a purpose, oblivious to what her dream suggested. All was still the same, as talking to her mother reminded her. Hiroko Carter was the same today as she was days and even years ago. Keiko reasoned that the future wasn't written in stone, and if someone could see that far ahead, what would they do? They wouldn't hide in fear and lament over what's going to be. They'd continue to move forward and be themselves. And in their actions, if there was anything they could do to prevent such a devastating future, then they would just do whatever they normally could to address the situation. There was much Keiko didn't grasp to fully believe in what Pastor James had told her. Her expertise was science and she had to be objective and open to wherever the facts took her. Obviously, she didn't like where it was leading her, but she was stronger than this person she'd been for the past day. It was her mother who inadvertently reminded her of this. 
What's so funny? I hope you're not laughing at me. No, no, I'm on a very difficult case right now and having problems coming to grips with how it's progressing. Talking to you helped me put things in perspective. I'm just happy to hear your voice, mommy, and yes, I'm okay. Oh, that's good to hear, said Hiroko. Keiko heard a voice in the distance through her mother's phone. Got to go, your father's home, and don't forget to call me directly if you find out anything. Not a problem. Take care, mom. Love you. And don't let your work blind you from finding a good man and... Okay, mommy. Oh well. Bye, dear. After the call terminated, Keiko looked out the window again. However, this time, she didn't see a foreboding future. Instead, what she saw was a day full of wonders and uncertainties, like any other day. And like any other day, she'd handle whatever came her way with eyes wide open. With a renewed fervor, Keiko opened the box to see what Brooke had sent her. It was the first of a few things she had requested sent her to look at, while the rest stayed at a storage site at the local airport. As her thoughts went out to her friend, she swore to be by her side once this case was over. It was a typical day in the Peruvian rainforest. The current conditions were 83% relative humidity, 28 degrees Celsius, and a constant heavy downpour. The dense Amazon forest made it nearly impossible to appreciate the immense biodiversity unseen by civilized man. But that made no difference to the Xi'al team. Their main goal was to identify an isolated indigenous group for the first crucial test of the Genovirian. At first, there were a few tribes they considered, but they decided on a small Agaruna group of approximately 150 people. Peru itself being nearly 60% forest coverage, it was important to find a tribe that isolated itself from civilized man. Some of the Agaruna people lived in northern Peru close to the Ecuador border, while other tribes possessed tidal lands in a few regions such as Amazonas and Cajamarca. But there were others that embraced the old ways, not wanting to be polluted by outsiders. They heard, and some even saw, how outsiders could destroy their way of life. Civilization was a path leading to impurity and disillusionment. However, little did they know, there weren't that many places left on the planet to hide. At night, Xi'al forces quickly and efficiently created a Genovirian perimeter of prototype delivery devices outside the small village. Without being seen or heard, cameras were set high in the Amazon trees, and the delivery devices were remotely connected to the control center one kilometer away. It was a couple of hours before dawn when everything was in place. Vidyanka sat in his chair, flipping through the remote cameras. He switched between night, thermal, and normal vision to ensure everything was working perfectly. Taking a drink of water, he watched as the quiet jungle continued to hold the impending demise secret. Feeling a hand on his shoulder, he turned to see one of the Xi'al agents. The agent nodded. Fedyanka took a deep breath and pressed a button on the console, activating all the delivery devices at once. There was hardly any sounds coming from the devices. However, animals close to the release scurried off quickly in different directions. This unforeseen movement caused a small disturbance in the direction of the village. Birds abruptly left their trees, while ground-based creatures scurried toward the village causing some of the Agaruna people to rise from their rest. Knowing the language of the forest, they knew something wasn't right. Some of the warrior men quickly gathered together and decided to investigate. Through the cameras, Fetienka and the Xi'al agent watched the dispersion of the Genovirian. Its dispersal mimicked multiple ripples caused by a disturbance seen on still water. 
The ripples expanded, merged with other ripples, and covered everything within the set perimeter in minutes. The forest was completely void of wind at the time, and the two were amazed at how well the dispersal formed. Very soon afterward, the delivery devices turned into slag. One of the Agaruna men approached the perimeter, recognized a strange piece of metal, and quickly touched it. Finding it cool to the touch, he lifted and inspected it. Something didn't seem right. He quickly scanned the forest around him, and finding nothing, slowly made his way back to the village. Once back at the village, he saw other warriors holding the same type of metal. They decided to hold an emergency elder meeting to discuss the mysterious metal. As Fedienka watched the tribe's leaders gather, he quickly took a glance at the dispersal schematics of the field test. The delivery device had worked flawlessly. Getting a perimeter as perfect as this in a major city might be difficult, but from what he could see, it was still very effective. Taking another sip of water, he went over the results again and then proceeded to type his observations on the laptop next to him. After an hour, he felt the hand of the Sheol agent on his shoulder. He pointed to one of the monitors, focusing on the group of leaders still in conference. One of the elders, the oldest-looking male, was coughing uncontrollably and then, without warning, vomited out a large volume of blood. Fedienka looked at the elapsed time. It was just two hours past initial delivery, way sooner than expected. He reasoned the man was already sick from some other ailment, compromising his immune system, and thus accelerating the effectiveness of the Genovirian. Remarkable, he mumbled. Compromised biosystems seem to accelerate process. This was never expected. Fedienka glanced at the Sheol agent, who in turn returned a blank stare, indicating a lack of interest. Fedienka shrugged, took a long drink of water, and turned back to the monitor. He made a note in his computer indicating a probable 20% accelerated appearance of Genovirian symptoms in already compromised individuals, and continued to watch as the Agaruna elder continued to cough uncontrollably. Several men carefully carried the elder into one of the huts and were no longer in view of the Sheol cameras. While he was being tended to, the other elders continued their conversation with more urgency. They feared that with the early morning disturbance, the presence of the strange metal, and the unexpected sickness of their eldest tribal leader, that something was definitely amiss. For several minutes, they debated their next course of action. If not for the strange metal, everything would have been considered a local event and dealt with internally. However, the strange metal forced them to conclude that outside contact had been made in their territory. This forced them to conclude that they needed people from the outside to investigate the matter. Five young warriors were then instructed to leave the tribe and make contact with the nearest village, 25 miles away. Fedienka and the Sheol agent watched as the five warriors proceeded to leave the village. What are they doing? asked Fedienka. The Sheol agent remained silent, glanced at Fedienka, and then activated his communicator. Intercept and eliminate two miles out. Roger that. The communicator responded back. I never expected them to try to make contact with civilization so soon. Maybe after the first few deaths, but not this soon, said Fedienka. The Sheol agent stared at Fedienka for way too long before responding. You've been up for over 30 hours. You should get some rest. The natives aren't going anywhere and the cameras will record everything. Fedienka glanced at the monitors. He didn't want to miss a thing and really didn't feel tired. He figured he had at least three more hours before he needed to take a break. I'm good. I'll take a break in a few hours. 
The Xi'al agent placed a firm hand on Fidienka's shoulder. That wasn't a suggestion. Doctor. Fidienka looked briefly into the Xi'al agent's eyes before conceding. Fine. Wake me if something happens needing my attention. The Xi'al agent moved back a few steps, giving Fidienka ample space to rise from the desk. After Fidienka left the room, the Xi'al agent mumbled a few words on his communicator, looked at the glass that held Fidienka's water, and promptly discarded the dangerous liquid into a labeled biohazard container. Fedyanka's short nap turned out to be five hours of deep sleep. As soon as he laid down on the sleeping bag, he quickly slipped into sleep. From the time he closed his eyes to the moment he opened them, only minutes seemed to pass. Still feeling tired and a bit dazed, he struggled to clear the fog from his head. He allowed his legs to hang off the bed as he rubbed his head. Strangely, the fog didn't lift, and he felt more tired than when he had first closed his eyes. Struggling to stand, he stumbled to the door and pulled at the knob. The door was closed. Looking around the room, he slowly began to remember that he had gone to bed on a sleeping bag in a tent, where there were no doors or elevated bed in a totally closed room. What? He mumbled as he stumbled next to the door. What's going on? Standing was becoming too difficult, and Fedyanka crawled and tried to pull himself back into bed. Exhausted by the effort, he gasped for air as he lay on the bed, staring at the ceiling. Hello? Can anyone hear me? I need help? He managed to shout. Seconds later, a voice responded through an intercom. You're not feeling well. We had to isolate you. From what? What are you talking about? Figinka slurred his words together. He felt consciousness slipping from him, but struggled to remain awake. You have been infected with the Genovirian. Impossible. We all took proper precautions. How this happened? No response from the intercom. Give me inoculation. I was scheduled for inoculation when I returned. Give it to me now. You know the inoculation doesn't work after you've been infected. I can't believe this. Was anyone else infected? Asked Fedyanka. No. Fedyanka felt a pain in his chest. Breathing was becoming more difficult. How is that possible? He asked. A long pause before the intercom answered. Your infection was ordered by your supervisor. Fidyanka grabbed his head as a powerful wave of pain engulfed his skull. As he managed to ask why, he already knew the answer. He had gambled with his ploy to advance himself and lost. Your supervisor told us to inform you that your services are no longer needed and to embrace the future you so eagerly set for the rest of the world. The pain became too unbearable for Fidyanka to respond. His hands fell to his side as consciousness slowly slipped away. His very last thought before darkness engulfed him was fear that they were going to allow him to fully experience all the symptoms of the Genovirian infection before dying.